morning, church. Tell you what, this is uh, Nehemiah 8 is like one of my personal favorite passages in Scripture. Like, there's just a lot of meat in there for me. Um, I'm, those of you that know me well, know I'm a little nerdy. So I literally get into some of these things, and, and it's this, this, this moment of like one of the greatest sermons in the Old Testament, one of the like greatest responses to sermons within the Old Testament, a, a, a reminder to us that, that worship through the hearing and the proclaiming of the Word of God is genuine worship, and we see that in the hearts of the people. And so I'll just tell you this because it took me a while to like narrow things down a little bit. I'm going to try to keep us in a timely manner. There's been a, if you're out there on, on social media, there's been a lot of stuff about what sermon length should be. Um, long enough to cover the material, short enough to keep your attention. But time spent in prayer for the sermon is more important than time in the actual presentation of the sermon. The time in which the Holy Spirit tells us what the Word of God says for our lives is more important than me speaking it. God is going to use His Word to do His thing, and I'm going to allow Him to do that today, hopefully, and not screw it up. <laughs> but that's where we're at, and we're in Nehemiah chapter 8. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to, to Nehemiah 8 today as we hear the Word of the Lord. And all the people gathered as one into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses to the Lord and commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gates from early morning until midday in the presence of all the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah on his right, and Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashbanada. Zechariah and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achib, Shebatai, Hodai, Maasiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Pelaliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law. And while the people remained in their places, they read from the book the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has, not, who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. 
So the Levites calmed all the people. I love that line. Saying, be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. And on the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by... We'll go back to verse 14. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out in the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square of the water gate and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths from the days of Joshua the son of Nun to that day. The people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you that that we see that the word you have provided for us stirs our hearts, brings us conviction, and brings us joy. Father, I pray today that as we we dive into this word, that you'd put me aside and you let it be your word that comes through, that that it would be you working in the hearts of of those of us that are gathered here that you would also teach us to worship through the hearing and through the proclamation of your word. Father, as we get into this time, please bless us so that we may serve you according to your word. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So here we are, chapter 8, Nehemiah, and there's this this sermon, this, this gathering of the people and, and this, this time of reading from the Word. And what we've really seen here is that chapter 7 of Nehemiah has, has really set us up for what's going to happen in Nehemiah's chapters 8, 9, and 10. Right? Chapters 8 through 10, we see the people want the book of the law read. They want it. They desire it. They, they're going to celebrate this feast of booths. They're going to renew their covenant with God in these chapters. And Ezra and Nehemiah unite here, showing us that they had a common goal in their projects. That what they were doing was for the work of God. It, it was really not about the temple. It was not about the walls. It was all about trusting God and being obedient to his word. And we see Ezra and Nehemiah working together to, to do that. And I thought about this, and I thought about, like, if you ever had a, a teacher or a minister or a boss or somebody who was so enthusiastic about what they were doing that everyone else became enthusiastic as well. Like, there was just something about their their personal enthusiasm about a particular task or about something going on that they just, they, they oozed it out and you couldn't help but get stuck in the ooze yourself. That's kind of what's happening here, right? We see Ezra and Nehemiah doing that. 
that, that, that they are so enthusiastic for the word, they're so enthusiastic for their walk for God that the others around them become enthusiastic for it as well. And in doing that, they're showing us how enthusiastically God loves his people as well. And so they're, they're all, of this doing, all of this is happening in this. And I think about this as, as Chris and I have preached through Ezra and we've preached through Nehemiah, one of the things that, that we've both pointed out here is, is how much Ezra and Nehemiah both love the word of God, right? The, the, the exiles returned as they're, as they're coming back. They're seeing this love of the word of God in these two men as well, right? They see how much they love this, right? They're, they're seeing this. They see it so much that when the walls are finished, here they, they, they finished, and that was a miraculous feat in and of itself, right? Finishing these walls around Jerusalem, possibly 24 feet tall, probably 8 feet wide to 12 feet wide. These huge walls are finished, and they see it, they're finished. And what do they do? They go to Ezra. It's not like Ezra saying, all right, you guys, finish the walls, take a break, everybody gather up, let's hear a sermon. No. The people come to Ezra. Ezra, bring us the word. We want you to bring out the scrolls and read to us from the word of God. The people were hungry for the word of God. Now, Ezra has been teaching and proclaiming the word of God since he led his group of followers out of the exile. But the people here wanted to gather corporately, and they wanted to hear the word together. Right? And what we see is if we're, as we've been going through the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, the whole two books in one setting, right? We see that this kind of parallels that dedication of the altar that we saw in Ezra chapter 3 and the, and the dedication of the temple that we saw in Ezra chapter 6. But something's a little different in this case, right? The, the people are gathered. Ezra the priest reads from the word. There are all these assistants out there. You got that 13 Levites, or you got the 13 guys that are, that are helping either unroll the scroll or hold the scroll or, or keep the, the, the platform steady. We're not really sure what those guys that are on his right and his left are doing. You got the Levites that are, that are out there helping, teaching, and assisting with that. And we see every man, woman, and child who is able to understand is present for this. And they all hunger for the word. And they know that it was by the word of God that they were formed. They know that all creation was made by the word of God. God spoke, and everything we know comes into existence. They know that it was by the word of God that Israel made a covenant with God to be his people, and he would be their God at Mount Sinai. They know that it was by the word of God that Israel themselves were taken out of exile, or in, out into exile. And they know that it was by the word of God that he has brought them back. Right? The people have seen the greatness of the word of God, and they want more of it. They are turning to the word to renew them as the city of Jerusalem is being renewed. This is kind of Ezra's big moment. Right? This, is, this, is, this is what he's kind of been been waiting for, right? He's been faithfully serving the Lord for 13 years, kind of waiting for this day. The people are gathered, the scrolls have been opened, and the word of God is being read. And he reads from sun up until noon. Y'all, I won't do that to you. I, I can get into it, I can love the word of God, but sun up to noon. Whew. But their faithfulness to hear it 
for potentially six or seven hours. Ezra's faithfulness to proclaim it potentially for six or seven hours straight. I see beauty in that. I see a joy in that. I see a love for God that is so rich in that. And the people worshiped through the proclaiming and hearing of the word of God. Right? I find it interesting that in this, this worship service, this great gathering of people, there's no record of music. There's no record of songs. Just the word. Yet we see people raising their hands and calling out, Amen and amen at the hearing of the Word of God. It's almost like, like the Word of God has become a concert, and they are excited just to hear that. The Word of God is now their, their favorite rock star, and they want more. And even though Ezra has been teaching the Word of God consistently for the past 13 years in Jerusalem, <coughs> the people wanted more. Right? They're finally physically safe from their enemies. The wall is built. The gates are in. There's already been a proclamation about when the gates can be opened and when the gates can be closed. And, and we see that in, in 7, that you can't open the gates until the heat of the day. Why? Because we're going to be focusing on the Word of God in our morning times. And nobody needs to be coming or going while we're doing that. No distractions during the time we focus on the Word of God. So they got their, their walls are all physically in and they're physically safe and the walls have been rebuilt, but now they want to rebuild their lives. They want God's words to direct their lives. They want the word of God to bring them security to their souls that only the word of God can bring. And do you desire the word of God that deeply? You spend your extra time in the day filling it with the word of God? Do you, do you relish every chance you get to read or to hear the Word of God? See, the people of God love God's Word. Even the weird parts, like chapter 7, where it's a list of names and numbers. We love God's Word. The Word of God to His children is, is like getting your favorite candy treat, and every time you get it, it tastes better. Think about when you were a little kid and you got that special candy from grandma or grandpa. You know which one I'm talking about. And that taste that was on the tip of your tongue when you finally got to have it. The word of God should be better than that to us. And it should taste better than that every time we're in it. As we keep going, verse 3 reminds us that everyone was gathered, men, women, and all who could understand. I love this. All who could understand would include children of an age that they could understand. And I love this because we see this beautiful model of family worship, right? The Word of God is for all of God's people, male, female, oldest to youngest. The Word of God applies to all lives, all of us. The key here is that all who could understand, and I get it, the Word of God has some difficult material in it, right? There are stories of rape, abuse, slavery, murder, adultery, 
right? But here's the thing. It's everything you can see in primetime dramas and everything you can see in daytime soap operas. It's all in the Word of God. There's nothing there that, that kids aren't being exposed to anyway. But the Word of God is never to be dumbed down. It is never to be changed or sanitized for the sake of young people. Hear that. That's important. As difficult as it may seem, all of these topics that are in the Word of God can be talked about in an age-appropriate manner and should be when, as a family, you come across them in Scripture. If we truly believe to be people of the Word of God and we truly claim that, then we're going to read all of the Word of God. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And it is so important for us to treat the Word of God that way. Even with our kids. That, that all who can understand is, is also where we see these Levites coming in. Right? There, there are these men that are out there assisting Ezra. So we got the guys holding the scrolls, we think. The guys on his right, the guys on his left. They're doing something to assist Ezra up there. But then there's guys out in the crowd who are Levites assisting Ezra. Now, now some think that some of the exiles, especially those who've been born in Babylon or born in Persia, may not have spoken enough Hebrew to understand the Scriptures. And the Levites have been translating that Hebrew Scripture into Aramaic so that they can understand that. And there are some who believe the Levites are just giving exposition of the Word. Ezra reads the Word. He pauses for a moment because if you've been reading from sun up to noon, you're going to need a cup of water somewhere in this time. He pauses for a moment. Then these Levites take over and they give a little quick interpretation, a little quick study, a little quick exposition of the Word. My personal thoughts on this is it can be both. It would seem logical that a generation of Israelites who would have been born in captivity would only have spoken Hebrew and maybe not that much Hebrew in their own homes. Because they would have spoken Aramaic in public. They would have spoken Aramaic at work. <clears throat> Captors try to erase culture of those that have been taken captive. One of the easiest ways to do that is to remove the language from those people. Our own history shows us that. Right? that that's a very common historical practice. So... I believe that there was exegesis and exposition of the Word of God taking place. Verse 8 says, They read from the book from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so the people understood the reading. As they're reading passages, there are things that are difficult to understand, and the Levites are helping them understand. Maybe they're saying it in a language that they understand. This is all logical. It makes sense. This was a preaching session. People were there to hear the Word of God. Now, this doesn't sound like or look like modern preaching. It doesn't even necessarily look like the preaching we hear described in the New Testament. But this is a type of preaching. The Word is being read and proclaimed. It is being explained for the people. 
and the people respond. That's the basis of all preaching. And we see that. The people listen and respond. I love that. And the ears of all the people were attentive to this book of the law. This is crucial. And and I got to admit here, I have been guilty of letting my mind wander during the sermon. It happens. Right? I'm not proud of it. It's not this is more of a confession than it is. By the way, I do that. No, it's a I don't like that my mind will wander sometimes during a sermon. But it happens. I have to admit my guilt there. But the attentive listening to the word of God as it is being proclaimed does so much. When when we really are attentive and focused on the Word of God, it honors the Lord. It shows God that we care enough to honor Him by listening to His Word and focusing on it. When you really listen closely and pay attention to the Word of God, it is good for your own soul. The Word of God, go back to what it said in in 2 Timothy 3.16. Right? That all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for the training in righteousness. It is good for us and our own soul. And it encourages the guy who's actually doing the preaching. Right? I, the hardest times that Chris and I ever have had to preach are those times that we've had to preach only into a camera. Because there's nobody there to make eye contact with. There's nobody there to, to get a head nod or a, hey, you've got a point there. That close paying attention is encouraging to those of us doing the preaching. We're not saying you've got to take notes if you're not inclined to take notes. But just pay attention to the Word of God. And let the Word of God do what the Word of God does, which is change your life. As Ezra wraps up his reading of the Word of God, the people are weeping. They have heard the word of God and are under conviction of sin. Their hearts are being drawn to repentance. And this is the proper response to hearing and paying close attention to the word of God. The word of God should rend our hearts and draw us closer to him no matter what. Even if the people were not under the conviction of sin, it would be okay for them to weep and just the beauty of God in hearing it. How many times have you read a psalm? And it just struck you as beautiful the day you read it. It may not be a psalm of lament. It may not be a psalm of of anything. It just may be this beautiful psalm of praise. But it was so beautiful the day that you read it. It drew you to tears. There's nothing wrong with that. Or the moment you've read a piece of scripture and it just hits your heart so that, that you realize, oh my gosh, I've not been applying this right. I've not been living this right. I got, I'm sorry, God. And the tears fall for that. Both are okay. Because the word of God, again, should rend our hearts and draw us closer to him. We see, Nehemiah and Ezra here, they, they tell the people, don't, don't mourn, don't weep. We're going to keep this day holy and celebrated. It's the first day of the seventh month, right? That seems weird. It seems really paradoxical here. You got all these people, the, the, 
the however many people, the 42,000, however many people there are in Jerusalem this day. And they're hearing this great sermon and they all want to repent. And the preacher says, wait, hold up. No altar call yet. But we want to repent. You'll get to repent. I promise. But just wait. It seems weird that you're under conviction, but I want you to stop grieving and being under conviction for right now. Don't, don't. Stop grieving and stop mourning for your sin. Start celebrating instead. Have the best meats and drink the best wine. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's kind of Michael's translation there of what Ezra and Nehemiah say. You're like, why in the world would they do this? The first day of the seventh month is the festival of trumpets. And we can see that talked about in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 24 and 25. And the word of God there says, in the seventh day, on the first day of the month, or on the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with a blast of trumpet, a holy convocation. And you shall do no ordinary, shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. So these festivals and these, these celebrations that God himself declared the people should do are to be joyous occasions that remember all the things that God has done for the people as he brought them out of captivity from Egypt. And that's perfectly okay to be convicted of sin. But the people need to be joyful and observe the feast so as to not add more sin, more transgression to the sins they already are feeling convicted by. They need to observe this feast. Another thing to think about and to know is this, that as you, as you read the Word of God, as you hear the Word of God and are convicted by the Word of God, that conviction you feel is God's presence reminding you to turn to Him. That conviction of the Holy Spirit drawing you away from selfish desires and back to godly desires, right? That, that you are turning from your evil and selfish ways to God's good pleasures. And there should be joy in the fact that God has not forgotten you. He's not left you to your own desires. That there's something in Him stirring in you to bring back to Him. And God's good pleasures are His joy. Right? It, was, it was God's good pleasure that has been in the move of the hearts of, of Cyrus and Artaxerxes to let the Israelites come back and rebuild Jerusalem. It was God's joy to move in Zerubbabel, to move in Ezra, to move in Nehemiah, to move into their hearts, to lead the people back for these tasks. It was God's joy to save them, restore them, and protect them. This is the strength they have in God's joy in loving His people. Here they are, sinful people who God loves. It's so weird when you say it out loud. Sinful people who God loves, but he does. And it's sinful people here that God is leading out of sin. And he's leading them out of sin by the conviction that comes from the hearing of his word. God's joy is, is loving his people so much that even though they sin and they rebel against him, he gives them a way to come back to him. That way is Jesus Christ. God loves us so much that he sent us a way to be free from our sin. It's through the work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross. See, the people with Ezra and Nehemiah, they, they can rejoice because they have understood the word of God and are called to repentance. You and I, even when we feel convicted of our sin, we can rejoice because we understood the gospel and have been called to repentance. 
And we understand that Jesus has paid it all for us. That he paid it once and for all. And our sins have been cleaned when we repent and turn to him. Again, Ezra has been faithfully teaching the word of God for the past 13 years in Jerusalem. And and more than likely, he and Nehemiah have planned for some significant teaching to occur during the seventh month. This was, this was, we know Nehemiah is a planner, right? So he and Ezra are probably like, hey, let's, we're, we're going to finish the wall on this day, and then we can do that, and it'll put us right there for Elul, the seventh month, and we'll be ready to go. And this seventh month of the year in the Jewish calendar is festival heavy for the people of Israel. It, it, it's like almost and probably even a little more so busy and hectic than our time between thanksgiving and new year's day as far as holidays to celebrate within that seventh month it's jam-packed with all these festivals and so they started off with that festival the first day of the seventh month and they read the word of god until noon then on the second day of the month The teaching continues. And this time, it's the elders of the community, the heads of the father's houses, the priests, the Levites, they all come. And Ezra directs them to the scripture that tells them to prep for yet another festival. And they are to celebrate the festival of booths. Sometimes you'll hear this called the Feast of Tabernacles. In Hebrew, the holiday is called Sukkot. Uh, And and this is where the people build these tent-like shelters. And they live in them. For seven days, to remember how God provided for them as they came out of Egyptian captivity. They would put them on their roofs. They'd put them out in their courtyards. They would put them, and observant Jews today still practice this. They still build these little, little things. And they go out and they get leaves and they branches and they decorate them with that to, to show that. To show the frailty of what God brought them out of. And the people celebrated this. And they celebrated this feast, and I love this, like, like none other except for the days of Joshua the son of Nun. It says Joshua here in this translation, but it's the same name as Joshua from the book of Joshua, right? They celebrated this feast more enthusiastically than it had ever been celebrated since the very first Sukkot had been celebrated after Joshua had conquered the land and the Israelites finally occupied the promised land. It had never been celebrated so ferociously until this time. And the people here, they had a very similar reason to celebrate so enthusiastically. They had just come out of slavery again. And they had just come back into the promised land again. And they celebrated the great work the Lord had done in their lives. And they heard the word of God proclaimed daily during that celebration listened to preaching every day and they could truly call the joy of the lord their strength and they rejoiced in that they saw all the goodness and all the greatness that god had done and it it brought them joy through their conviction and those of us in christ can and should celebrate the lord with great enthusiasm right just like the people of israel They were brought out of a physical slavery. You and I have, in Christ, have been brought out of a spiritual slavery. We have been brought out of slavery to sin. 
We've been brought to a new life in Jesus Christ. We have hope of a promised land as we wait for our time to see heaven and to spend eternity with our God. The beautiful thing here is is God's word makes this all known to us. It shows us his joy. It shows us his good pleasure. The word of God shows us his, his mighty acts. And it shows us how much he loves his people. And it gives us hope of salvation through Jesus Christ. Do you want the word of God even when you know it's going to bring you conviction? People of Israel did here. And God's people should want it as well. Do you see the joy of the Lord when you see the word and it shows you forgiveness through Jesus Christ? I hope you do. Will you receive the word of the Lord, feel his joy, and have it as your stronghold and your strength? I hope you do. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, I just thank you so much. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for how, how it brings us conviction, how it brings us joy, how it changes our lives, and it shows us so much about who you are and how much you love us. Father, I pray that that like the people of Israel here, that we hunger for your word, that we want it. We want to taste its its sweetness and its goodness, that we, we want to be convicted by it so that we can know that your joy, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Father, as we get ready to to have a time of response, I pray that as we enter into this time, this this invitation time, this response time, this call to action time, that you would have us really ponder and ask ourselves, do we want the word of God even knowing it'll bring conviction to us? Do we really see the joy of the Lord when, when we see the word show us your forgiveness through Christ? we willing to receive the word, feel your joy, and take you on as our strength. Father, I pray that as, as we enter into this time that we say yes to those things. It's in Jesus' name I pray.